0: the gospel of luke luke chapter 6 verse 27 through 30 again welcome to our, our guests with us and those of you that are just uh, returning guests as well visitors with us today i glad to have you with us luke chapter 6 verse 27 38 where we'll be and I uh, will read the text within the sermon this morning uh, just to kind of save us a little time hopefully let's uh, uh will you pray with me one more time father thank you for your word and we again, are grateful that your word is truth. All that you speak is true. All that you speak is sure. And Lord, this is a, it is a sure and firm foundation uh, because it is the words of Christ. And we pray that as we read your word this morning, as we study it, that you would cause your church here to be built up upon this truth, that we'd be reminded of the, the teaching of the apostles that reflects really the teachings of Christ. And God, may you show us from uh, your word how we may live, that we might be a people that uh, lives for your name and, and is willing to, uh, uh, to, to show to the world who you are. And God, we pray that you be glorified now. Be, we pray your spirit would fill us and, and teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this morning's uh, passage is from Luke 6, 27, 38, and the, sub, the title will be Kingdom Love. It's on love today. And when we think about love, it seems when we look at our world, it's really, even though we, maybe the world seems to talk about the desire for love, but it seems to, at least from my eyes, at least, maybe you're, you might see the same thing, but it seems that there's just only increasing hatred in our world, a hatred for one another. It's almost a a hatred because the other side does not love uh, the way we want them to love. Because I don't know why, maybe it's just uh, the media's fault, maybe it's uh, our politicians' leaders' fault, maybe it's the environment's fault that we uh, seem to be full of a greater hatred in our world. But no matter who is at fault for the increase of hatred and vilification that exists, the solution rests in Christ's church. The solution rests with those of us who are followers of Christ. The world has an idea that what is needed is love, and we would agree. But we would differ with the world on what that definition is. The world's love is a love that falls short. The world's love is often defined more as an accepting kind of love, a tolerant love, a let-you-do-whatever-you-want-or-whatever-makes-you-happy kind of love. And while that does sound good on its surface, if you think it through to its ultimate applications, it is not love. It doesn't take too long as a parent to realize that that kind of definition of love is a surefire mistake for our children. We understand that accepting or tolerating or allowing our children to live uh, in whatever way they wish is harmful and will be destructive for their lives especially when they choose to live sinful lives so in biblical love we do warn and we would warn and we would call to repentance those who live in sin true biblical love is a divine love it's a love that shows itself in action but it's ultimately a love that shows itself in action that seeks the good of the one whom we love this kind of love is not does not come from us alone it does not come from us in its essence because it ultimately comes from God. God is the source of love. He is love. But that love which is manifested in, our, in his son, Jesus Christ, and we who have come to know that love through faith in Christ, we now are able to show that love to the world. We're able to demonstrate the kind of love that God wants to show to a world that, that realize they need love and want love, but they have the wrong definition and idea of love. As we have learned from Jesus, the world, however, will hate his people, Christ's people. The world will hate his people because they hated him first. And though the world will have a hatred of us, the Christian is nevertheless called to love. And in our passage today, we really see this theme of loving those who hate us, loving our enemies, loving those who would not love us in return. As you recall, we've been studying Jesus' sermon on the plain. Uh, it is a sermon that prepares his disciples for ministering the gospel in a world that hates Jesus Christ. Jesus, his fellow, his, he himself was facing greater opposition. He knew that it would lead to his crucifixion and death. And so he's now, he selected 12 among his disciples who would be his apostles, representatives, and in his first sermon as we, Luke, that Luke records, he is a sermon that Jesus gives to his disciples to prepare them for following him in a world that hates Christ. <clears throat> this sermon, verses 20 through 49, uh, is a three part sermon. We, last week we looked at verse 20 to 26. Uh, the kingdom blessings and woes that Jesus gives the, these promises. It says, "You are blessed if you basically, uh, if you, for the those who follow Christ, those who suffer for Christ, and the, there is woes for you those who uh, because of your suffering or because you don't want to suffer Christ, you uh, you turn away from you're unfa- you're, uh, you're unfaithful to the the ministry that Christ calls you to, and there's woes for for those disciples." And then today, we're going to look at verse 27 to 38, where Jesus now calls disciples, in light of their commitment to follow after him, in light of their commitment to be willing to suffer for Christ, he calls them to love, to love the world that hates them. It is a, an exceptional kind of love as we think about it, even though I think for most of us, if you've been a Christian for any time, amount of time a lot, uh, any amount of time, you would know all oh, we ought to love our enemies, and we just kind of comes out of our lips. all oh, we ought to love one another, we ought to love our enemies, uh, but it's one of those things where it's easier said than done, I think for all of us His love that, uh, that this love that we are to have is a, is a call. Not just a, a love in, in our, just only in our minds and our attitudes. It's a, a love that's to be shown in its actions, as we'll see in our text. And in these 12 verses, there are 16 clear commands, 16 calls to action. To love, do good, bless, pray, offer, give, do not demand, treat the same, love, do good, lend, be merciful, do not judge, do not condemn, pardon, and give. We will learn that love is not simply letting others do what is right in their own eyes, but love is ultimately seeking and doing what is good for others. Now we could uh, just take a look at all the various 16 commands, make a 16-point outline, that would be fun, but we'll summarize into three for us this morning. Three characteristics uh, as our outline, three characteristics of the kind of love that Christians are to show the world. Three, kind, three characteristics of this call to love that Jesus has for His disciples. All right, so that's what we're going to look at today, pretty simple, uh, basic outline. Again, easier said, easier learned. You could probably almost guess what they are, uh, but the heart, the challenge for us is when we must ask the Spirit to show us how we could live our lives in light of these truths. All right, so Jesus calls his disciples, first and foremost, in verses 27 through 31, to love radically, love radically. Really, it's a call to love your enemies. Verse 27, 28, look at there with me, will you? But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Jesus begins verse 27 with a phrase that wasn't uncommon in Jesus' instruction, his, de- his teachings, especially when we go back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5-7. to uh, Jesus' teaching was often a radical call. It was a, a radical for his listeners. It was very antithetical to what they commonly held. Having just exhorted his disciples to remain faithful... To him, in the face of a world that will hate him, ostracize, uh, will hate them, ostracize, insult, and scorn them, Jesus warns them from having a responding to that that kind of hatred with a similar hatred. Well, you're going to hate us if the world's going to hate us, then we should respond by hating them back. That just seems very natural, and that is natural to most of us. But in a series of of four short commands, Jesus commands his disciples to a radical kind of love, a love for their enemies. And enemies here are not just people that one doesn't like, but people who don't like you, who are hostile toward you, who mistreat you. The other commands, uh, really, in this passage, will fill this, this idea of loving our enemies. Enemies are those who will curse you, mistreat you, and hate you. And, but despite their hatred of you, Jesus calls us to what? To, to love our enemies, to love them. He's not calling us to like them. Sometimes we say, uh, well, I don't really like them, okay? It's I, don't, I don't like how they look. I don't, I don't like how they smell. I just don't like their personality. I don't like their interests. And what God's, you know, so there's a difference between liking and loving. Liking is just kind of a matter of like, Ah, just it seems pleasant and nice. I, I just uh, makes me feel good. I, I like, you know, Vincent. I yeah, just like want to hang out with them. Just feel really at ease and cool. You know, just like that. That that's liking, but a loving is where I would actually seek after my brother's good. That I would strive to serve him, encourage him, and take very concrete steps to seek what is good for him. That's what God calls to love our enemies, to actively seek. They're good. To do good to them, as the, as the text tells. To bless them. Yes, and even to pray for them. This last command, to pray for our enemies, is pray for those who, who mistreat you. is probably the most powerful in a sense that it's powerful in that it's very effective. God, God knows what, uh, what he's doing when he gives, Jesus knows what he's doing when he gives us these commands. When you hate someone, but you know, one of the, this real practical thing is when we pray for those who hate us, you bring them before the Lord our God. You bring them before the one whom we love and you can't really help after you pray for them long enough to eventually realize that God loves that person, and God sent His Son for that person, and that it would cause us to, in turn, love them as well, or at least to stop hating them. The call to love your enemy was a radical thought, because in Jesus' days, most of the Israelites has been taught otherwise. Even today, we consider it very acceptable to hate our enemies. You have enemies, we should hate them. We should destroy them. all we, we should uh, you know, keep, them, uh, keep them in check. But listen to Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. When he said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what they had heard. That's what they were taught. Love your enemies, but hate those who are your enemies. Hate, who hate those who are your enemies. But, G, but I say to you, there's that phrase again. But I say to you, Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. Jesus' call to love was a correction of a misinterpretation of the command to love our neighbor. Israelites thought that their neighbor was simply their fellow Israelite. Uh, Jesus would, of course, correct that with his uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. But they didn't think of their neighbors as being Gentiles, like the Romans, or even those despised Samaritans. But the command to love one's neighbor included, yes, even one's enemy. Yet... And though they had misunderstood this, this was really not a new teaching. The Old Testament, in fact, taught this principle in a more concrete instruction. In Exodus 23, verse 4 to 5, here's these commands that show love for our enemies. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it with him. See loving your enemies on a very practical level means doing good to them. You see if, if their ox or donkey or car or backpack or purse is, is lost or is broken on the side of the road, you help them. You return it to them. You do good to them. If it's about to be damaged, you protect it. It's just oh that's my enemy's car. I'm just going oh yeah, I'm just going I see it's stuck. I'm I'm not going to pull over for that person. They can just walk home. And we want to pull over, help them, offer to help them. Now, Jesus further illustrates the radical love in verses 29 and 30. And when we read in verse 29 and 30, look there with me. Very concrete uh, kind of illustrations. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. These instructions are, are, are not meant as precepts more, as, or like specific commands, but really as illustrations of principles. Even Jesus, we think about even when Jesus was, was struck by one of the religious officers uh, in John 18, and 23, Jesus there does not offer the other cheek, say, oh, he strike me on the other cheek too. But he even challenged the justice of why they were striking him. So, this is not to be taken, in a sense, in a, in a, as, a, as, a com, as a command that is always, in every case, to be observed. It clues us in that what is being taught here is, is a principle. A hyper, maybe we could even say it's, it's spoken in, in hyperbole. What we really are gathering from these words is a prohibition against retaliation or revenge. It's an attitude of of willingness to give up one's rights, to not defend oneself, but to love our enemies and to seek their good. Paul's words in Romans 12, 19 to 21, convey this principle well. We see this elsewhere in Scripture, this idea of not retaliating, taking vengeance. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry feed him and if he is thirsty give him a drink for in so doing you will also you will heap burning coals on his head do not overcome be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good that's really the thought that jesus words here is that we are to overcome evil when people treat us evilly we are to over respond with good don't respond with evil and kind The followers of Christ are called to a radical love that doesn't seek revenge, but rather returns good for evil. Then in verse 31 of our text, Jesus offers a general principle that should guide every believer in their love of their enemies. This principle is often called the golden rule in verse 31. Look at it there. And that is, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Yeah. Whenever I see this uh, verse, it uh, reminds me of a children's book. Those of you who are parents, uh, one, of, uh, one of the other parents lent it to us. It's kind of, I think it's kind of about uh, Do Unto Otters. anybody 's anybody's read that book, Do Unto Otters? So you have your parents, uh, just a great book called Do Unto Otters. Uh, and this is a great book that based upon the golden rule and uh, that we had to do unto otters as you would have otters do unto you. Okay, think about that. All right, that's a great book. Uh, if you have Prime, you can, there's a free video of it too, so. Oh, just, that's for free. All right, moving on. Anyways, I've uh, got to help the parents. Uh, the command is, this command though, this go in a rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you or treat you, is it basically comes out of the Old Testament. It's related to the Old Testament command to love your neighbor as yourself. In Exodus 19, 19 18, there God tells the Israelites, you shall not take vengeance against He. We're not taking vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. We are to treat others as you would want to be treated, as yourself. Love them as yourself. If you offended someone or say or you hurt someone, how would you want them to respond to you? Would you want them to seek vengeance against you? I, I think most of us say, "Well, no, not no. Please uh, forgive me." Would you want them to, to to seek to to get back at you? No. You'd probably want. Whoever you offended, whoever you uh, hurt, you'd probably want them to overlook your sin. You'd want them to perhaps even, if you misspoke, you want them to give you the benefit of the doubt. You'd probably want them to be patient with you, to even willingly forgive you or to let it go. To still even love you, even though you've sinned against them. And that's how you should treat those who offend you. Think about the next time you're mad at someone and you want to just get back at them. Is that how you would want them to treat you if you, caused, if you had been the one who offended them? Christians, see, are, are to love radically. We're to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. Secondly, so we, Jesus now calls us to love radically. Secondly, Jesus calls us to love selflessly, a radical love that loves even our enemies. But this goes beyond that. Jesus says we're to love selflessly in our love. We're to love expecting nothing in return. You see, the golden rule, in a sense, do unto others as you would have them do, almost could be interpreted in a selfish light, couldn't it? That the reason you love your enemies is because you expect them to love you back in the same way, right? So there's this motivation. I want to be treated well, so I'm going to treat you well. So it's kind of this selfish motivation. However, Jesus, in the next few verses, corrects that possible misinterpretation. He teaches his disciples to love expecting nothing in return, to love others even if they do not respond in kind. Verse 32-34, listen to these three parallel statements of loving others expecting nothing in return. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those who from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. Verse 32 and 34 are, are parallel statements. It's pretty clear. You can just see it. It's pretty uh, it's obvious in our English translations. It begins with an act of love, followed by the question, what credit is that to you? And then ending with an, explan- an explanatory reference to <laughs> sinners. The key thought in this question is that middle question. What credit is that to you? It really, it's simply, it's asking, what gracious response might you expect from God as a result of your act of love? If you love in this particular way, if you show love to, towards someone in this way, is God going to be pleased and respond to you favorably? And that's the question. And, but the question is not answered explicitly because it's meant to be a rhetorical question. It expects an answer of, is, what credit is that to you when you love in these ways? The answer is, and expect an answer, no. Let's take a look at these acts of love. Verse 32, it's loving those who love you. Most of us probably love those who love you, right? You love your parents who love you. You love your children who love you in return. You love your, your spouse who loves you. That's not a bad thing. Verse 33, it is doing good to those who do good to you. We do that same thing. If we love, just as we love those who love us, we, we do good to those who do good to us, don't we? And verse 34 is lending those to those whom you expect to receive, to, reach, to receive a return. That when you lend to someone to something, you expect them to give it back. And, and perhaps in due time, when you're in need, you would expect them to be willing to lend to you as well, right? This is not, there's nothing necessarily wrong with these. This is just kind of normal expectations that we have in our world. But Jesus says of these things, which are certainly, they are certainly good. It's good to love. It's good to do good. It's good to lend to those in need. But Jesus points out that there is no credit to you in these things. God does not show particular gracious favor because you love those who love you or do good to those who do good to you or lend to those because you expect some return. Because in so doing, these are actually not just acts of love, but they are self-centered acts of love, if you will. You love and do good and lend to those from whom you already or expect to receive love in return. See, love that expects return is a self-centered kind of love. So well, it's understandable and quite a, a natural part of life. Jesus' question implies that there's no credit to you for such kind of love. Why? He explains, essentially, gives the same answer for each, each time. For all three verses, the answer is the same. Because for even sinners do the same. Even sinners love those who love them. Even sinners do good to those who do good. Even sinners lend expecting to return. In our day, the equivalent of these, uh, the, these sinners used to refer to basically those Jews who were irreligious, those Jews who were just secular Jews. They, they were Jewish in culture, but not Jewish in their faith. And so these were irreligious. They didn't really observe uh, their faith. Today, we might simply call these, in our, uh, in our application, we might just refer to the unbelievers. Even unbelievers, even non-Christians love those who love them, don't they? Even unbelievers will do good to those who do good to them. Even unbelievers will lend expecting to receive in kind. So if your love is limited only to those you expect something in return, then we're no different from the world. Jesus calls you to love, but to love like the world is not enough. Jesus calls you to a selfless love. In verse 35, Jesus brings this out. But love your enemies, there again, we, he comes back again to this theme, but love your enemies, which we saw in verse 27, and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. There's that key phrase, expecting nothing in return, having no hope of any return, and your reward will be great. Well, stop right there in the middle. See, love that Christ calls us to seek, calls us to, seeks to love our enemies, do good to them and lend to them, expecting nothing in return. Now, there may be a return, but we do not do so expecting that return. This is an altruistic kind of love. It's a sincere kind of love. The world, op- you know, the world on the other hand, operates on a very reciprocal kind of love. We'll love those who love us. I, I think, uh, Sometimes I think of this uh, idea, the idea came to me of, of a, a concept in Chinese culture. I mean, some of you are familiar with Chinese culture. Uh, there's a name for this: the mutual relationships that we are to... <coughs> excuse me well, that we are to kind of have in society whether uh, individually socially or whether in a professional setting uh, in, uh, in Cantonese is Hai, or in Mandarin Shi. guanxi Shi. okay yeah, you probably don't understand I thought I'd go uh, google wikipedia yourself if you want to or not it's really based on this very Confucian idea of harmony, that there's a sort of like a, a very uh, expected kind of relationships that we have where if I take care of you, you take care of me. It's a, it's a mutual commitment, a mutual uh, uh, reciprocity, mutual trust. And, and that, to tell you the truth, that's not a bad idea. And that's a pretty good idea in a, in a, based upon a, a very secular, godless uh, philosophy. But before God, it's not good enough. It's not good enough before the Lord because Jesus' teaching goes beyond it. We love others. Christ calls to love not so because we expect some, There's some there to be some harmony in our world, that there's going to be some reciprocity that's going to happen. If the Lord allows that to happen, that's great. But Jesus calls to love even when there is no harmony. Love even when the other person does not have the same commitment to you love them nevertheless, love them with a wholehearted commitment to seek their good, to seek because and their ult, everyone's ultimate good is that they would know God, whether they love you ever in return. However, having said this, this called to explain this selfless love, while we may love not expecting anything in return, Jesus does here in this, in this text promise us There is something you can expect in return, but it is from God. Love that is selfish has no credit to you, but love that is selfless is rewarded. It's rewarded by God. Jesus says that your reward will be great. This actually recalls back to verse uh, 23 of chapter 6, when Jesus said, Be glad in that day, and when people hate you, persecute you, malign you, scorn you, leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets... The same reward there is meant here. That when you love people who do not love you back in return, you can find comfort that you have a reward in heaven. Reward, not, it's, not just, it's beyond just eternal life in heaven. It's the actual reward that is in heaven, stored for treasures in heaven. And it, the greatest treasure of all is that God responds graciously, favorably to such, of your, such kind of love. The reward is ultimately God's pleasure itself, that he is pleased with you. Why does he do so? Why is he pleased with you when you show a love that expects nothing in return? Because that's the very kind of love that God is. He loves a world, a whole world of people that initially never and do not, would never ever, respond to him in the same way and so this leads us to our third and final characteristic of love that jesus calls it to not only are we to love radically love selflessly but we are to love divinely love divinely and Verse 35 continues with another result of selfless, act, selfless radical love. There's really two results. One is your reward will be great. The second, uh, the second result we find in the latter half of verse 35. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. See, when you love your enemies selflessly you will visibly show yourself to be sons of the most high God. You'll reveal to the world that you're a son of God, you're a, you're a follower of Christ. You'll show to the world who God is like, what Jesus is like. And this is, this is not a promise of earning your salvation, but it is a promise, it is a, it is a, 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 a instruction that, that we will be showing and revealing the salvation that we already have. First uh, John chapter 4, verse 7, and there John, the apostle John writes this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. See, when we show love, we show that we are born of God and we do know God. But even more than revealing your relationship as sons of God, how you and I love reveals to the world not just who we are, but we reveal who God is when we love. See, radical selfless love for our enemies is the kind of love that God shows. He is, as Jesus says, He is kind to ungrateful and evil men. And before we start thinking about the world out there, let us not forget that that kind and ungrateful, evil, ungrateful and evil man was us. That was God. Jesus, God was kind to us, ungrateful, who did not. Recognize him as our God, and did not give thanks to him as our God. We took everything in this world for granted. We turned away from him. We lived lives our own ways. But then God sent His Son so that we would be reconciled to Him. Enemies may not reciprocate the love that you show, but your continued love shows God's love to the world. In that first (coughs) Saint, first John passage, verse (coughs) twelve. No one has seen God at any time If we love one another God abides in us and his love is perfected in us The world doesn't see God God is spirit They've all they when Jesus walked on earth, they could see Jesus in the flesh, but now Jesus is not here on earth, but they the world can still see God how Through his his love that is perfected in us when we love one another And when we, especially, even when we go beyond loving one another, we love our enemies. We show to the world what God is like. People should be able to say, That is God. That's the God I want. That's the God uh, that I want to worship. That's the God I want to follow. See, God's love for us is perfected. It's not a sense that we will love perfectly. Like, I'll always be able to love everybody exactly the way that God wants me to love. But love is perfect in the sense that love's its purpose, its aim, its goal is completed, brought to maturity in us when we show love. There's a there's a purpose that God has shown love to us in his son. Is that that, when it's when that love is reaches its perfection, its end, its goal, it's that we show love to the world. And when we show love to the world, the world will see our God. You know, when you find it hard to love someone, remember how much God has loved you first. Remember how He loved you even while you were ungrateful and wicked. And I appreciate that I just really appreciate those songs on this morning and just reminding us that how many all of us uh, have turned to our own ways, really. All of us have chosen our own ways before we. Cho- but God nevertheless sent His Son for you and me. May His love just spur us to the kind of love that uh, that he wants us to uh, love, those who, even those whom we find difficult to love, to love like God. In verse 36 to 38, Jesus uh, <clears throat> concludes this section on love with five quick commands that reflect God's kind of love. Verse 36 to 38, we'll just kind of read it quickly, and, and it could be another sermon, to tell you the truth, uh, these, uh, these qualities, but we'll uh, just touch them really briefly today. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. The first uh, and overarching quality of God's love is that his love is merciful. It's a compassionate kind of love. And we're to show, show mercy towards others. We're to have compassion upon them, their condition, that, that they are lost, especially those who are our enemies. A merciful kind of love is not going to judge them. It's not going to condemn them. But will be quick to pardon, be quick to give and share. This, this doesn't mean, of course, that when we, every time we come to this do not judge type passage, it doesn't mean that a Christian can't evaluate. Uh, uh, we just looked at uh, 1 Corinthians 11, examine yourself. There's all sorts of instructions and commands in God's word that we are to look at ourselves. Even the whole process of church discipline is, a, is a, the church called to examine one another, to evaluate one another in light of scripture, to encourage us in one another to holiness, to Christ likeness. But what is so when it says "do not judge"? Here, it's really not just that we can't we're not evaluate others by God's standard. But what is spoken against is really a spoke is that having that self righteous kind of attitude that is more critical of others than of oneself. Uh, we'll see that in fact later where uh, Jesus will in the next week where we'll see see Jesus condemning us from looking at the <laughs> the speck in our brother's eyes when there's a plank in our own. This the kind of uh, what Jesus condemns here is, a, is, a, uh, is an attitude that is quick to condemn and, and slow to forgive. It's, he condemns the attitude that rejoices when others get what they deserve instead of rejoicing in giving others what they don't deserve. See, God's love is opposite of this. His love is merciful and slow to judge. He's very patient, waiting for, for that all might come to Repentance. He is slow to condemn. He is quick to forgive. His love is generous, granting to others what they do not deserve nor ever could earn or deserve. The image of verse 38 is, is a very vivid imagery. Kind of, uh, The charismatics take this passage and just kind of take it as basically being a, a prosperity gospel promise almost. But it's, uh, that's not the purpose here. It's really uh, that the Jesus gives us says, to teach us that you cannot outgive God's love Whatever you might give and love, God will give you back commensurately more, not here on earth, but in heaven. And the picture is of, 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 this, this, of being given back a measure of what you might give, but it's, it's, it's much more, it's pressed down. You got just this, this whole picture, you, pre, you want to maximize it, you press it down, you shake it, you know, shake it so that everything settles down, and then you, you pour even more on top, kind of like when you're at a buffet, and you, gotta, you know, you get one plate, you want to just back it down, that's what you do, just back it down. Or <laughs> you cannot all give God's love. Whatever you might give in love towards others, God will give you commensurately more in his kingdom. The love spoken of in this passage is the love that God has shown us in Christ. Has he not, brothers and sisters? We think of passages like Romans 5 8, where God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet ungrateful, while we were evil, Christ died for us. <laughs> That's the kind of love that God showed. And, of course, John 3, 16, 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. Did not judge, did not condemn, but that the world might be saved through him. This is the kind of love that God has shown us. This is his kind of love. And this is the love that he calls us to show to our world. And the question is, what kind of love are you showing, brothers and sisters? Are you loving other men like how other men love, only when they love you back, or are you, or are you loving like God loves? Let God's love be perfected in you, so that you, the world may see him. Let us love divinely, like God. Now, as the disciples of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Lord calls us simply to love our enemies, to love radically. He calls us to love expecting nothing in return, to, to love selflessly. And he calls to love like our Father loves, to love divinely. Let's remember that no, none of this will ever happen because in and of ourselves. We don't have the power to live like this. We just examine our lives. We realize, hopefully, <laughs> I, know, uh, I know I wrestled with this text this week because there, you can only you just think about your life, how, how much we fall short. How, it's, it's not just hard to love our enemies. It's even hard to love those who love us. It's hard to love even one another in the church at times, not always, at times. But the only way we can love like this is because of Christ, because God loved his enemies, and gave his son to die for our sins, and having trusted in Christ, he enables us to love in this way. And I'll end with one quote that I came across in my studies that was pretty convicting. To me, I just thought I'll share with you because I just thought it was cool. It's based on, a, it's, a, it's an extra biblical letter called the letter of Second Clement. Second Clement, uh, it's written about second century, uh, second century A.D. And uh, so this uh, whoever is writing this letter, it's kind of a sermon. It's uh, meant to be a sermon. And he's preaching. He seems to be addressing this very, this very theme here: loving our enemies. And he writes this: For when they, that is the world, hears from us that God says it is no credit to you if you love them that love you. But it is a credit to you if you love your enemies and those who hate you. When they hear this, they wonder at this extraordinary goodness. But when they see that we not only do not love those who hate us, but do not even love those who love us, they laugh us to scorn and the name is blasphemed. Brothers and sisters, uh, I hope that this does not characterize our lives. But even if it does the question for us as we take away from our text this morning, how must you and I love differently so that the name of Christ is not blasphemed in our world? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and thank you for these truths. Thank you for again showing us how great your love is for us, how great the love that you have demonstrated in your son. And thank you, Lord, for the, the call that Jesus issues for all who follow him to love in the same way. And God, we ask that you help us to love in this way. Help us to always remember your love and to love in that same pattern. Help us to love even our enemies as well as one another. Help us to love expecting nothing in return. Help us to love following your example. And God, we pray that in this way that your name would be not blasphemed, but that your name might be glorified as your love is perfected in, our, in us, your church. Oh, Christ, make love the manifestation of your body that we would have not only a love for one another a, and a love for the world so that all will know that we belong to Christ. God, we pray that you would then use that to draw our world a world that desperately wants love but a love and, but a love that they do not yet know and father may us may we show consistently patiently compassionately your kind of love that would draw others to yourself oh god continue to teach us to not judge not condemn others but to quick to forgive to be generous and giving just as you have for us Thank you again for Christ, and we pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior. Amen.